and welcome to another edition of The Long Road to Ruin. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. With me, as always, is my co-host, he who brings life back to music, Mr. Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Oh, crikey, fuck. These last two movies are everything that is both ridiculous and ridiculously beautiful about action movies. <laughs> they are. Of course, we are closing up our discussion of the Rambo franchise, uh, Rambo 3, and then Rambo. Y- you have to wonder, in terms of marketing and um, differentiation, why they didn't call it John Rambo, which I know they were – this ran through various titles, but the one that it is presently known as is just simply Rambo. And you would like to think that – you know, they would have gone with maybe uh, something different to differentiate in the marketplace. But then again, you know, the last Rocky movie is also called Rocky Balboa. So I sometimes think Stallone just likes to, you know, really takes the philosophy of keep it simple, stupid to the nth degree. Um, no mood music tonight. We're really we're just getting right into this. And I want to start off tonight's podcast with a philosophical discussion. Um Sean and I were talking about this before the broadcast started tonight, and for those of you that follow me on Facebook, you've already seen it. You've seen the discussion that it um, it prompted. I, As I was watching Rambo, now when I say Rambo, for the purposes of this podcast, so I don't have to keep repeating myself or over-explain things, I mean the 2008 movie in which he goes to Burma. Um, so I'm watching Rambo, and... Th- we're going to talk more about this when we actually get to the movie, but the final 11 minutes, well, there's two scenes. There's the village rape and pillage scene, and then there's the final 11 minutes, which have been dubbed the most violent moments in movie history in terms of on-screen deaths. And I had forgotten about that until I watched it again. And as I see uh, John Rambo take a mounted Jeep submachine gun and can proceed to blow away an entire Myanmar uh, army, man by man, and then when he's done with that, disembowel someone. And this is all on screen. You actually see guts come out of somebody. You see men sort of blown to pieces one by one on screen. There's no implied violence here. There's no there's no inferred violence. It is literally, there's a guy on screen and suddenly he's blown to fucking sushi. And I say, and I got to thinking, you know, I like the red letter media guys a lot. I like half in the bag. And I tend to respect a lot of their their a lot of their um, uh what I'm looking for here. A lot of their uh, their movie reviews opinions. Yeah, you always know that I'm tired when I lose simple words like opinion. But I I always respect their opinion. And I remember when they when they did their Man of Steel review, they were among the chorus of people saying things like, "My God, you know, it's a shame the kids don't have Superman anymore. And why does Superman have to be serious? And why can't this be more fantasy based?" And it's all stuff Sean and I talked about before. Um, but they also fell into what I thought was a bit of a trap, and you know, and not in character with them normally, but um, they they fell towards sort of a cheap argument, which was Man of Steel was so violent, and and they're talking about the fact that you know Zod's trying to 
um, turn the earth into a new Krypton and there's all this, and then they're fighting and there's all this damage that's done. You know, my friend put up an article that says scientists prove that uh, the final climactic scenes of Man of Steel were more devastating than 9-11. Except that you don't actually ever see anyone die in Man of Steel except for Zod, which is jarring, which is jarring, but still it's one guy. And so I said, you know, for all of the people crying about Man of Steel and how violent it was, go back and watch Rambo from 2008, and you'll see what real violence looks like. And real has two definitions here. One, real as in, like, what a really violent movie would look like in terms of the amount of death portrayed on screen. Not implied, but actual on-screen death. But also... Uh, the producers of Rambo 2008 went out of their way to try to make that movie as close to realistic as possible. It reminds me of what was said of The Wire, which is we got to we, – we tried to show as much as real life as possible, but we couldn't go all the way because if we did, it would be too painful. And if you, especially the village rape scene, if you go back and watch that, I would have hated to have been an extra in that scene because it's a good chance I would have been either raped or disemboweled. And it's 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 really gruesome. I mean, and the, the cutaways are not sharp enough where you're like, oh, it's implied, but you can't really. No, I mean, it's like full on. They really show you this stuff. It's pretty gross. So that's where I want to start with tonight. It's just this conception of what what is inferred violence versus what is actual violence on screen. I mean, are we? I don't know if it's desensitized or. Uh, or if we've just gotten so limp-wristed about the whole thing that we think Man of Steel is a big deal? I mean, or, or was that just sour grapes? And I'm going to go ahead and take a step back and let Sean chime in here, because it really bugs me. And here's why, and I'm going to shut up. If you are going to be allow yourself to be bothered that much by what was in Man of Steel, then... There's no point in even making a movie like Rambo anymore. And here's what I mean by that. Stallone and the producers of Rambo 2008 went out of their way to try to show what was really going on in Burma. And yes, they were making an action movie. And yes, they were trying to revitalize a a, a um, famous property from the 80s and make some money on it. But Stallone, to his credit, was going out of his way to try to use this platform to elevate an actual problem going on in the world. And, you know, people have criticized Rambo for being too violent, which is why I find the whole thing hilarious when compared to something stupid like Man of Steel. But people criticized Stallone and the producers for, for, for it being too graphic and too violent. And he said, well, it has to be. It has to be or you won't understand what's going on in Burma. Now, for God's sakes, if we're going to get so caught up in stupid Man of Steel, why even bother? making a movie that tries to elevate a real problem. Why make a movie about, you know, Syria and weapons of mass destruction? Why make it, why make anything that's serious when we're not a serious culture? Sean? All right. Mark, before I break this issue down like a fraction, I'm reviewing the conversation. And um, do you want to take uh, a wild guess, just a wild Price is Right stab that whose comment just made me facepalm? <laughs> now, I would like to remind people that we here at 411 Mania 
are are a unified front. We are bonded together in blood, and we don't talk bad about each other uh, on various mediums. On the other hand, this person is not, nor will he ever be a member of the Long Road to Ruin family. And uh, (laughs) our show isn't just on 411 either. Um, And I got got precious less of a conscience about him just because he uh, seems to take his share of liberties with you on a regular basis. So, no, on, on the other hand, you mess with one of us, you mess with both of us. Uh, Shall I read the comment? Or or go ahead. Oh, I'll I'll read it. I got this. Um, He can come at me if he fucking wants to. I don't care. Got to do something to justify his paycheck. Oops. (laughs) I understand your point, but even for the grittier films, I don't really consider Rambo real violence. Also, I think all the citywide destruction that Superman himself caused without any seeming care to collateral damage is worse. Not to mention the ending. Okay, fuck a duck. <laughs> Here's the problem with that. Here's the distinction you're not making. Superman is fantasy. It is, for all intents and purposes, speculative fiction. It is not something that there is a good chance will ever actually occur in real life. There, uh, Yeah, when they talk about the damage being worse than 9-11, they're talking about on a, on strictly on a quantified, logistical, monetary level. And, and, also, in ter- and also in terms of potential casualties. So that's all speculative. I mean, and even then, you're comparing apples and oranges. You are comparing extremist terrorists hijacking planes and flying them into American buildings to two super-powered aliens destroying (laughs) a completely fictitious city. Okay. On the other hand... We're talking in Rambo, okay, yes, maybe the level of violence is amped up a little bit, but you're talking about something that is at least comparable to mass killings that have actually happened, to things that real people actually experienced. I mean, there's an exclamation point put on it, for the sake of it being good cinema, for the sake of it being compelling and engaging to watch. But on the other hand, uh, here's another thought. Um, I don't think it's, I also don't think it's taken as seriously because in Man of Steel, this is happening even if it's in a fictitious city, in, an Amer- in a large American city. It's an environment with which many Americans are intimately familiar. A a tremendous, sprawling metropolis. A decimated skyline. So that's another sense in which I get the 9-11 comparison. On the other hand, when you're talking about a jungle village in Burma, 
you're talking about something that is distantly removed from what most Americans have ever experienced or will ever experience. It's it's easier to kind of desensitize ourselves from that unless you're somebody who's actually been there and done that. Look, we're unless, a country uh, where we're not we're an autistic a uh, young man walks into an elementary school, blows away a bunch of kids, and the immediate reaction of half of this country is to tear up the Constitution. Okay, yeah, I mean, if, forget forget about the fact that this, this, this is taking place in a you know in a country that I'm sure most Americans couldn't find on a map. You know, when when you're right. like, oh, it's, you know, it's like they can like Man of Steel must be more violent. I can at least associate myself to that. You know, a, a village being raped and pillaged in Burma. What's a Burma? Well, and, and let's keep in mind, let's underscore this by the fact that the center of this movie is a Vietnam veteran. He's a man who is basically, he, he's not just living all this for the first time. He's more or less reliving a lot of this. So, I, I defy you. That stupid statement that just is making me angrier the more I read it. And this schmuck had the Gall to say I should be invited on this show. Let's not as long there. as I'm co-hosting it. <laughs> let's let's not go there. Um, you know, no, I want to take. I, I, well, I, I want to. Hang on, I'm not yet. I'm not done yet. No, okay. I, I defy you. I absolutely defy you. Go to somebody. Oh, okay. Look, not just Burmese. Let's say Cambodian origin. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go to somebody who is very intimately familiar with the track record of the Khmer Rouge, and go and tell that, and go and tell them that the violence in a movie based on a comic book in a completely made-up locale by people who are pretty much scientifically impossible is worse than something that is designed to at least fairly closely mirror things that have actually happened in, happened in Southeast Asia, that people actually went through, that are forever plastered across the memories of real human beings. Kindly go tell them that, and then kindly go make like a butt-like cap and screw off. Because, no, it's, I don't think there is any comparing to and not just – and it's, it's also what you said, too. It's the fact that in Man of Steel, there are not nearly as many visceral, unflinching, on-screen deaths. Not even close. I don't think anyone dies in that movie on screen. Yes, it's implied, but it's fantasy violence. And this is what I wanted to say. I want to let you go back to your point. But let's now take this in the other direction. Fine. My my friends, Red Letter Media and Jeff and everybody else who thought Man of Steel was the most violent thing they've ever seen in their life as compared to Rambo, then the, here are some other movies that were even more violent than either Man of Steel or Rambo. Star Wars, A New Hope, yeah. in which they blow an entire planet up and billions of people die. Then they blow up a space station in the same movie, which is which we're assuming is fully manned. And since it's the size of a small moon, you have to imagine there's about at least, you know, I would say somewhere between 100,000 to a million people on that thing. I don't know. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But let, let's go with the low end here and say it's 100,000 uh, Imperial troopers, 
uh, etc. on the Death Star. So, billion people on Alderaan, 100,000 people in the Death Star. Return of the Jedi. Aside from the amount of on-screen people that are shot and killed in the uh, Battle of Endor, or blown up in their spaceship on, on, the, on the attack on the, on the second Death Star, they blow the second Death Star up. My goodness. You know, what, what, what violence? What, what, uh, what, you know what? Here's the thing, though. A lot of times when people talk about violent entertainment, the problem is is they're not – they're trying to lump all violent acts together. And that's really not fair because it's not all the same thing. You're not – again, apples to apples. You're not comparing them. That's right. not what you're doing. You – I remember back at uh, Northwest Missouri State, um, I believe it was my theories of mass communication class. When we talked about media violence and the analysis of it, uh, one of the most historically tossed out uh, statistics is that technically one of the most violent television shows in, in, in all the history of broadcast television, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you if you just strictly want to sit there and just count the general number of violent acts, that is always going to rank up there amongst the very highest. Um, and I imagine you could probably also throw Mighty Morphin Power Rangers up there pretty highly as well. The thing is, though, is you have to realize that fantasy violence has to be set apart from violence that is intentionally choreographed by design to mirror real life. And there, there was a quote from Lee Marvin that I'm very fond of. Um, for those of you who don't know, that is, for God's sake, go get yourself some culture. Uh, go watch The Dirty Dozen. He, he's one of the he's one of the great early, real genuine tough guy action heroes. And I believe also, if I recall correctly, an, a legitimately decorated World War II hero. I think it's World War II. It's either World War II or Korea, I believe. But anyway, um, in a fairly infamous interview with, I believe it was Playboy, he noted that a lot of movie violence is glamorized and toned down so much that it actually looks that it actually looks enticing. It actually looks inviting. And I'm paraphrasing right. him slightly here. He said, I think the real way to do it is to make the violence look so ugly that your typical average average man doesn't even so much as think about going out and doing it. Yep. Um, that, that's where you have a big, where you have a big difference. Um, and we're not saying that the Rambo movies are in any way documentaries. But what you know, well, no. these are still fantasy movies. But the point of it is, is that there's that they're elevating a cultural uh, issue going on in the world, and they're making well, the, they're making the Superman the the, the hero of this thing uh, a part of it as to bring awareness. But that doesn't make it that doesn't make the genocides that have happened in Asia any less real. And I and the well, point that I'm trying to drive home, and the, why I put that on Facebook was let's not forget that let's not forget that there are that there is real violence in the world that there is real that there there are you know right <laughs> i i always laugh at you know people who talk about the uh about the united states as being you know um fascist and you know you have all these problems i said 
I, I defy you. You know, you can try, Sean. You can come visit me in Florida. If you and, and you could probably hitch hitch in in the United States, but if you didn't want to hitch, you could take a train or a bus. Besides anything besides flying, and you would be not guaranteed. There are no guarantees in life, but I am ninety percent certain you could make it from Arizona to Florida unmolested um, on the open roads and highways uh, in America in two thousand thirteen. Try that shit in Mexico. Try try going. From one town to the next on the open road in Mexico and see how far you get. Aha, but you just mentioned something, and this is a double edged sword about fictitious violence, and that is the concept of consequences. Which consequences you, well, first off, do you depict consequences? Which consequences do you depict? And how do you depict them? Okay, again, to make a comparison, let's take fantasy violence Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers. Uh, Man of Steel. Uh, Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what you have in particular is you have violence depicted, and actually you could argue somewhat of a positive way, in that you have it in the sense of good punishing evil. Um, Evil is punished, day is saved, safety is preserved. In in, In arguably both series. Um, Man of Steel, okay, to an extent, yes, they willfully made it darker to also draw in a larger audience, but, and this is the one thing where I will say that Mr. Such and Such did get it right, and that is, is that, you know, there's, the collateral damage is very much, is very much minimized. And you could actually make kind of sort of the same argument about the Avengers. But then again, you could also say, well, what else is new when it comes to that in comics? That's been kind of the modus operandi in general, is that largely in many eras that got glossed over, and it wasn't really until the 80s or 90s that it started to be taken a little bit more seriously. But But who stands around and, and, and cries about collateral damage in independence day an alien race tries to annihilate the human race city by city and it was still a movie that focused on people yes it had some silly scenes in it you know like giving the alien race a uh, a virus with a mac computer and will smith uh will smith deciding he can fly an alien vessel by looking at it but it was ultimately still a an ensemble movie about people in in dire circumstances but it was also a fantasy movie they didn't sit. They didn't sit. You didn't go in with a you know with a single shot and look at the devastation on the ground level. It right. wasn't well, that kind of a movie. Well, well, exactly, and that's and again that's the comparison of talking about consequences. Then take that and then go take a movie like say Death Wish or Once Upon a Time in or Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Even though, even if Once Upon a Time in Mexico is considerably over the top, um, or Rambo, the 2008 Rambo, that is, you have what's strongly depicted there is, you know, the is the realities of death and violence and what and what really results from it, and kind of one of the whole points about this series, even if it got if it really gets lost, particularly in First Blood Part 2 and Rambo 3, 
is the idea that Rambo is conflicted about having a violent nature. About right. Having there are consequences to his actions. Yes, exactly. It, because, meanwhile, even though you're technically going out and punishing evil with all this, even if sometimes you really have blurred lines as to who the good guy really is, what you also have is you have the fact that all this violence, all these violent acts, all this punishing of evil is having an impact upon the man who's committing them. And the fact that he doesn't enjoy it, he doesn't relish it at all. And again, that's why I brought up Once Upon a Time in Mexico, is because one of the big focal points about that movie is El Mariachi doesn't want to do this, even if they're bad people. He doesn't want to kill anymore because we're shown that killing people has come back around him and it got his wife and daughter killed. And even in the previous movies, very first movie, it got his girlfriend killed in Desperado. It got a little kid shot in every Can movie. I... Yes, and the bad guys are punished, but it's always you know that old saying: at what a price. You know, if you talk, you sit around and actually talk to soldiers. If you're if you're not so caught up in just going to movies and your fictionalized comic book and movie universe, and you actually sit down and talk to real soldiers. The pain that they're dealing with from having killed people. I mean, even if. You know, look, they're, they're trained combat soldiers, and they were killing insurgents in the Middle East and whatnot. They'll still come back and tell you, I don't sleep at night. I hear them. I see them. Well, I mean, yeah, no, matter guys, how I mean much brain, no matter how much brainwashing goes on during training so that these, can be, these people can become efficient killing machines, you can never turn it off completely. And even if yeah. you could, then they come back, and, there's, and, and the expectation is, okay, soldier boy, okay, killer. Now go now go mix with the real world. Now 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 go mix with your family and society and police and everything else, and be functional. Go from an area where bullets and bombs can kill you at any moment of any day, and you have to fend for your life. Oh, but it, but by the way, you also have to wait for a green light from the government to do so, or it's a bad kill, quote unquote. True story. And you know what? And I talked about this clear back when we did the first movie, and you asked me about this. Is the fact that my uh, my late paternal grandfather uh, was a World War II veteran. Uh, he was he was in Europe, if I recall correctly. I believe he was in Europe when they liberated the concentration camps. Um, apparently, that haunted him for the rest of his life. Um, he. And he often had nightmares about what, as we just, I, and again, I could be wrong here. I seem to recall, I think it was in uh, a, a diary of my grandmother's that we found after, after, Gram, after Grandma Comer passed away, God rest her soul, um, in which she talked about how he would have many a disturbed night, or many a disturbed night when he would be revisited by those ghosts of everything that he saw. And those, and that's not even just talking about people that he necessarily killed. Um, that's talking about also what he saw once they got to liberating the camps. War is a very real horror, but many times in history, it's also been a very necessary one. 
Um, and even when they haven't been necessary, you have to remember, again, as we pointed out before, is we're talking about a difference in eras between right now when it's an all-volunteer army. And, in fact, an all-volunteer army that news broke out this week that is, is in serious danger of being downsized soon. Uh, oh, being you I just saw a story earlier where they're saying they're not going to start taking people if you have tattoos in certain places. In Nam, they would take you if you were if if, if you uh, could you know you had a left and a right foot and you could breathe. And now we're, yeah. we're now we're rejecting people if you don't graduate from high school. We're rejecting you if you have tattoos on your wrists. You know well, that's why I laugh when I have liberal friends who are like and you know like, I fear for my children who will be drafted. Yes, only if the Red Chinese invade New York. But other than that, yeah. I don't see it happening. Well, well, yeah, and again, that's the difference, is the fact that, uh, okay, World War II, okay, yes, people were drafted to, were drafted to go fight when the war was brought to, what, was brought to our front step. Um, in Korea, okay, it then came, became a matter of we need to stem the rising, t- the rising tide of communism. Vietnam, okay, opinions always differ always differ on this, but the fact is people were still drafted, and when their number came up, went over to go volunteer, to go you know, serve and do their duty as their nation called them to. Um, because they felt, well, num- well, number one, it was the law, and number two, obviously a lot of them felt that it was the price they paid for the freedoms that they had here, that if their nation asked them to go fight, they answered the call and they went and fought. But since Vietnam, every time there's been, a, there's been a major, major conflict, it's been the people who decided to make that their path, either temporarily just as a phase in life or as a lifelong career, that they wanted to go be proud members of America's armed forces. And I salute each and every last one of you for that. Um, And in a sense, it's because we have so many people who are willing to volunteer and do that that we don't have a draft anymore. That people like you and I, Mark, who are not soldiers by nature, don't have to go overseas and fight. In this case... In the case of Rambo, we're talking about, although it's a fictional character, a fictional character in a world in which, well, I don't know, they never do say if he was drafted, if he was drafted or if he volunteered. I don't He was drafted. Think. Okay, yeah, yeah. He was, oh, he was, okay, he was drafted. A man who went over to fight turned out to be extremely proficient at killing, but he was still called by his country to do something that he did well, but didn't really want to do. And I want to draw a point there. He is called to do something that is heinous. His country has asked him to take on a glorious burden that it does not ask every man, woman, and child in this country. And, oh. and, I, want to, and I want to take this back around to um, the, the beginning of it. Look, I love all kinds of movies, all kinds of uh, fantastic movies, realistic movies, etc. You know, one of my favorite television series ever is The Wire, and it's as close to reality as you're going to get on modern television. So, you know, there is room in my world for both. 
But what I'm not going to tolerate and what frustrates me about that whole conversation that was posted on Facebook and what and a conversation that I continue to have with people is their inability to make a distinction between what is fantastic and what is supposed to approximate real life. Now, now we're, when we actually talk about Rambo 2008, we can get into some of the – one might call them silly um, – some of the sillier sort of fantastic you know, fictionalized elements of the movie that have to be there because it is at, it, it is at its core – an action movie, but it's an action movie trying to elevate the medium. And that is a separate thing, a separate and distinct thing from pure fantasy. And stop you, confusing the two. Do you mind if I if I kind of take it nits here for a second? Go ahead, for a second. Because okay. then we got to get to Rambo 3. Uh, yes, okay, we'll get, to, we'll get to Rambo 3 in just a second. But to be clear, though... There, uh, that's not to say, of course, and I want everybody to hear me loud and clear on this, that's not to say that speculative fiction never takes on something that's all too real. Um, case in point, one of my all-time favorite graphic novels, The Killing Joke, um, in which, spoiler, earmuffs if you haven't read it and you don't want to know. It's only a 30-year-old but, story. Yeah, I know, but if I don't say it, you know we're gonna you know we're gonna hear it at some point, either on four one one or somewhere else. Dark um, Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, you bastards. <laughs> um but the whole crux of the story is that in the interest of completely breaking Jim Gordon's mind, the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon through the spine. And then it's implied uh, has members of his gangs with him, stripper naked. Well, no, the strip naked part, that's not implied. That's, that's you know, pretty much directly shown. What's implied is that she was in all likelihood after being paralyzed, uh, sexually assaulted, and raped. I, I know that's the same thing, so don't mi- so please take your redundancy comments and keep them in your pocket, okay? But that's the thing is the thing about the thing about that is that that's a moment that was it's really controversial and it's very dark because it's for the longest time it was something that was treated as being very real um it was it was taken very it was taken very seriously however it's also why a lot of people were really outraged when later on DC essentially retconned that, and oh, lo and behold, all of a sudden, Barbara Gordon can use her legs again. Um, and that's why I really like that Lee Marvin quote, and that's why I tend to really gravitate more toward movies that are more even-handed and are better at depicting consequences and showing the realities of violence, even if they, even if they are violent in nature, at least be true to it and show the consequences of it. I love the over-the-top stuff, don't get me wrong, but the ones that I really prefer, you know, put a gun to my head and ask me, and I'll tell you every single time, I would rather watch The Mechanic or Death Wish um, than watch The Matrix for just that reason, is I can get more immersed in it because they're because they're more down to earth. So anyway, I think we've kind of run the gamut on on talking about violent media in general. So. Yes. 
I needed to get that off my chest. Um, Rambo is – the four movies are kind of a, a tale of two stories. And the first story begins and ends with the first two movies, co- coincidentally. And it's about Vietnam. It's about um, – as was once saying, what are we fighting for? You know, First Blood was the story of you know a man who came back from uh, Vietnam is um, confronted by a world that does not want him – and he lashes out. You know, he yep. um, he responds. And the second Rambo movie, for all of its perceived silliness and all of that, was really all was was an extension of more of that. It was, you know, it was really taking a look at another. It was a it was another angle on the idea of this country does not want you. You know, it, I, I always laugh about um, you know when I, it, we, I we were so. Of, I would say it's more of an approach of. Your country doesn't need you until it needs you. Yeah, well, um, I just well, I mean, when talking about the POWs and whatnot, it was let's let's forget this ever happened. Um, but I always <laughs> laugh like when Desert Storm. You gotta, I was in high school when Desert Storm happened, and I you know, and I and I had even back in high school and in junior high, I was somewhat read of Vietnam, and I would talk to my father about uh, about the history of that sort of thing as a kid. You know, back when children would talk with their parents about stuff. Um, so, <laughs> I re- and I remember, you know, just how horrible it was for Vietnam. I mean, it's a it's a big part of why we have the mental health problems that we have today, why we have the homelessness that we have today. Th- there's our inability to uh, welcome the Vietnam soldiers back into society in an appropriate way had a ripple effect that we're still feeling today uh, on a socio political and economic level. And then Desert Storm comes around, and it's as if, like, the collective guilt of everything that was bad about the post-Vietnam era was trying to be righted in that, you know, with that war. So we had yellow ribbons, and God, God bless the soldiers. And, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was so the other way, almost to the point of being phony. And I don't want to say that it was, because I'm sure people legitimately felt that way, and I don't want to take that away from anybody. But it, it, it got a little over the top at times. And even in high school, call me cynical, but I was like, I see through your horseshit and what's going on here. But um, but that 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 was the first two movies. It was um, these were fa- these were fantasy sort of revenge tales about you know the mistreatment of Vietnam soldiers therein. Now, put those two movies aside. What Rambo then becomes is uh, a su- Superman in whatever is hot at the moment. And so um, at the end of the 80s, you know, you all know the Cold War is uh, the Cold War ends. But before, right before the Cold War ends, the Soviet Union is um, having its elongated war, its own Vietnam, as it were, in Afghanistan. So uh, Rambo in, in kind of becomes a, um, a sort of a portrait of the, the time that it, it's taking place. And so they move out of Vietnam, and now they're looking at what is the, what, what's going on in the world that we can put Rambo in the middle of? And what they decide, and what, if you know the real life story, I mean, people know it now because of 9-11 and all of that. But uh, as you might recall, we were arming the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union in the 80s when the Soviets went into Afghanistan. Um, and that's where Rambo 3 takes place. Uh, Rambo 3, uh, the, the plot essentially is that... Um, Richard Crenna, who is Colonel Troutman, rec- uh, attempts to recruit Rambo on a resupply mission to the Mujahideen. Um, Rambo is, cur- is is living in Thailand, 
and he's helping to build a monastery and he's stick fighting and he's basically just trying to you know stay out stay out of the world you know which just, is uh, which is not bad for somebody who previously said that he couldn't hold down all of a sudden he goes from i can't hold down a job parking cars to carpentry yeah sure well, I figure the monks don't talk to him, and I think you know <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful world. We don't, I don't talk to them. They don't talk to me. I get to hammer stuff. It's a, it's a, you know, I don't have to fill well, out no, a W two. Well, no, but at some point, I mean, if a, if the guy can't even park cars, you got to think that they're going to eventually question, question his his shoddy workmanship. I mean, how good could it really be? Yeah, maybe he's a savant. You know, he's the Leonardo da Vinci of carpentry. Listen, um, so Richard. <laughs> So he he has decided that you know he is trying to live in peace and you know the, there's there's sort of this juxtaposition of him building a monastery versus the stick fighting and he's called out for it almost immediately. Um, getting to the point, Richard Krenner, who is Colonel Troutman, attempts to recruit him for this resupply mission to the Mujahideen, uh, who will become Al Qaeda, if I recall, <laughs> um, at some point down the line. But that's not for another few years. Um, uh, there is no Osama bin Laden in this movie, by the way. The Mujahideen are the good guys. They're perfectly wonderful people in this movie, which folks, is hilarious. Let's, folks, let, let's face it. Allow me to make a controversial joke here. When it comes to assisting others overseas, when it comes to um, assisting foreign groups, um, the U.S. is sting. And everybody we help is just one more permutation on Ric Flair. <laughs> uh, time and time again... It's going to come back and bite us over and over and over uh, the Russians and World you're, War. You're going to get me started on, on, on Syria, and I don't want to go there in a movie podcast. The, the Russians in World War II, the Mujahideen in, Afghan, in Afghanistan. Hell, freaking Saddam Hussein in Iraq once upon a time. Um, and, the, and now we want to help the Syrian. Now we want to help the... Uh, rebels in Syria who are actually Al Qaeda, which is fantastic. You know what? You know what? Inevitably, once we're done dealing out stinger slashes, it's always just a countdown. The moment we turn our turn our backs to a chair shot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, a rather large one. Um, he initially turns Troutman down. He says, "I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be a fighter. I'm I'm done." So you know, Richard Krenner then goes on to do the mission himself. They are betrayed, he is kidnapped, and um, Kurtwood Smith, who plays uh, who, who plays a government agent, who doesn't really have a part in this movie. I mean, he's essentially there. He's a device to get to, to sort of to deliver uh, expository information, and that's kind of it. He doesn't do anything in this movie. Um, but uh, if you don't know who Kurtwood Smith is, he is What's-His-Face's father from that 70s show. Uh so anyway, so he comes I back. I recognize him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit different now. He's not wearing plaid shirts and calling uh, calling people idiots. But um, so Cartwood Smith goes to Rambo and he says Troutman's been kidnapped, and that that that's good enough for Rambo. Um, Rambo's this this movie. The central plot line is it's a rescue movie. Uh, it just happens to be set in the Mujahideen's war against the Soviets. Um, it's an action movie. I mean, there's not, this is what I mean by there's not a lot to say about Rambo 3. Um, it paints a glorious picture of the Mujahideen who will become Al-Qaeda, uh, who will, or rather, who will become the Taliban. I keep, not Al-Qaeda. Who will become, uh, the Taliban. 
and it will eventually house the guy that uh, sends two two uh, planes as missiles into the World Trade Center. Sure, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah, but let's not talk about that. Um, it, it, sure. It's hilarious. I mean, granted, the movie came out in like 1988, so. Um, you know, who the hell knew that, uh, you know, 20 some odd years later, uh, this was all going to happen. I mean, that's, that was kind of the whole point of us aiding the Mujahideen. We thought we were aiding the good guys. You know, shit happens. Um, for, uh, for more on this movie, go see, oh, what's the movie with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts that deals with this? Um, oh, someone, someone's war. Um, Pete Wilson. No, well, no, that's that's no, that's that's not what I mean. I mean the name of the movie is is a possessive statement. It's blank blanks war, and I'm trying to remember what the first and last what the first and last name is. Um, because I, I Charlie damn, Wilson's I war. It's not Charlie. Peter Wilson. That was the government. That was the governor of California. Peter Charlie Wilson's war. Pete, Pete Wilson's war is war with fiscal responsibility. What are you talking about? <laughs> a lot of, I don't have notes. Uh, doing this from memory, and I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's a history person going out there. Why am I listening to these two? He's completely fucked up the relationship between Al Qaeda, the Mujahideen, and and the Taliban. I'm sorry, I don't have notes. I really do read. Um, the other, it's compared the U.S. to Sting. We are John <laughs> Cena. Damn you. <laughs> anyway, it was Charlie Wilson's war that dealt specifically with. The U.S.'s involvement in the uh, the, the Afghanistan Soviet war. In any case, it's just an action movie. I, I mean, if anyone's going to make the argument that you know we're dealing in pure fantasy here, and that uh, you know that that you can make comparisons of Rambo and Man of Steel, this is the movie to make that comparison. Good grief! Well, and I mean, at the time when it at the time when it came out. Um, some some critics were a little iffy and hemming and hawing a little bit because keep in mind this hit theaters right around the time that um, communism was really starting to finally let even grudgingly lay out the welcome mat for the West. I'm gonna look it up. Uh, keep going, but I'm pretty sure that the 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 um, the Berlin Wall comes down around this time because I'm I'm in junior high when this happens. Yeah, yeah, right, right around that, right around that time. But, but the point being is, that there were some people who were a little concerned that maybe this uh, this might have been poor form, considering the strides that had been that had been made behind the Iron Curtain, and that it might it might set off some might set off some offense. Like, okay, we. Fine, we finally extend our hand to you, and this is how you're th- how you're thanking us behind our backs, you know, by having by having this runty little sack of little sack of muscle blow us up with flaming arrows. Looks like it's 1989 that the wall comes down. So this move, so this movie, you figure, goes into production, you know, 87, 86, 87, somewhere in there. It debuts May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight, and a year later, the Berlin Wall comes down. Yep, yep. Um, you know, it's it, it's got I, this is a this is one of those movies where when people complain about Rambo, it's a, it's a stupid action movie. If this had been the last one, they're kind of right. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it's yes, it's set against a serious thing, but it doesn't take it seriously. It, it glorifies the Mujahideen rebels, where where it's it's you know it's always. My, my father likes to make this talk about this when it comes to Star Trek. Star Trek always talked about like the glorious uh, peasant, you know, the 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 farmer, you know, the uh, there were always these um, simple people who were so much better than uh, than the um, Starfleet, except that they were dependent on them for help for some odd reason or another, or they were about to be taken over by a hostile race, that, you know, so the Starfleet had to help them. It was it was this sort of thing. It was the noble savage, the idea of the noble savage, um, and it's just not true. It really isn't. Um, and oh, and I, and I. This was one of my Facebook comments. It, it, God, the, the one thing I, I love about uh, social media is that it really does allow you to do like micro reviewing. So as I'm watching the movie, and I and then thoughts come to my head, I don't have to compose. You know, I don't have to compose a fully thought out and well-written uh, review of something, I can just blurt out whatever nonsense comes to my head as I'm watching the movie. So Rambo 3, wearing a man on a horse, <laughs> takes out a tank with a Molotov cocktail. It's, it's You know what? It was the harbinger of the Old Spice commercials to come. <laughs> there's there's another really, you, you, there's you another could really just, dumb thing in here. Go ahead, sorry. You could just at any point in the movie just... Pause it and just put a great big big old speech bubble right by Stallone's head that just says, "I'm on a horse." <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the uh, the plot summary on Wikipedia. Rambo <laughs> Rambo manages to kill Zayson by driving a tank into his helicopter, and years <laughs> later the a years later the A team would fly a tank. <laughs> 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 you know, and like we started off so serious and angry. You have to understand, I love that stuff. When I'm the, I'm one of the people in the theater laughing myself silly. I loved the A Team. I thought it was great. It was so over the top stupid. I was having a ball with this thing. I, it's not yeah. real life. It's not even close. Yeah, the 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 A Team flew a tank, and then Rampage went on a rampage in the monster truck, and then what a coincidence. Then Rampage was in the A team. <laughs> so, you know, I so I enjoy this sort of thing. I enjoy, you know, movies that use uh Mack trucks as missiles and, you know, all kinds of stupid things like that. And you know, well, 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 Mark, you you want to know what I just finished downloading? What? I just finished downloading a movie called You're the Hunter from the Future. Do you know what happens? In your the hunter from the future, what happens in your the hunter from the future? A loincloth sporting caveman, played by Red Brown, shoots down a giant bat with a single shot from his bow, sending it into instantaneous rigor mortis, and then proceeds to pick the carcass up on the gra- off the ground grab hold of each of the wings, hang glide the bitch off a cliff as his awesome theme music blares in the background and delivers a goddamn missile drop kick to a cave full of purple-skinned barbarians. Yep. I did not make a word of that up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
I want to talk a little bit about the ending here, just for the uh, the sake of hilarity, and then we're going to get to um, I have to shift back into sad mode as we talk about 2008 Rambo. But um, so this you're is laughing. My... Picturing it now, I know you're picturing it. <laughs> Trying to focus. Um, yeah. So, like I said, this is the problem with Rambo Three is that outside of glorifying the Mujahideen, it leaves behind everything that made the first two movies uh, relevant to culture. And that, you know, this just, this just becomes a simple rescue movie. It's a, it's an action movie. This could, you know, they could have made up these places. He he could have been in suck my dick stand and, you know, and, and yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, he could have gone to suck my dick stand. Um, yeah. You know, he could have gone anywhere. What was that? I think I, I think in my I think in my mind I'm starting to make my retirement plans. <laughs> um, you know, they really could have just made up a place for him to go and rescue Trapman. That was the whole plot of the movie. They you know they they made it a point and good for them to try to set it against something that was happening in real life. But it was also like you know eight years too late. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what year the Soviets go into Afghanistan, but by the but for the fucking war is almost over by this point. Um, <laughs> so it's it's kind of, it's just a sort of a meaningless movie in that sense. You know, it's fun to watch, but it's 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 exactly why this is the one I think people think of and sort of infuse on the first two when they think, oh, Rambo's that silly movie where a guy runs through the forest and kills everybody with a knife, which leads me to the final sequence of this movie. So he's rescued Troutman. He's managed to, by himself pretty much, invade a Soviet war camp, rescue Troutman and some other uh, Afghanis and, and Pakistan folks, and, uh, and, they, and they go out into the wilds of Afghanistan, and they're on the run. Um, the Soviet army uh, chases them down. There's a big epic fight scene. You know, there's a typical 80s epic fight scene with a large wrestler-looking guy. Um, you know, yeah. Indi- think Indiana Jones, the same similar sort of motif. They they blow him up. Um, it was like, and I and I remember that was even funny too because they because they knock him into a. Rambo pulls a pin on a grenade, then kicks him into a hole, thereby breaking his neck via hanging. And then just because that's not enough, then blow him the fuck up. <laughs> it was like they should have then had Bramble walk over to the burning carcass and kick it once or twice. You know, I think that would have really set the tone. But so shortly after that fiasco, there's another fine mess Troutman has gotten him into. Um, you know, they crawl out of the hole, they go into the open, and they're like, "Okay, we just got to get to the next town. We're gonna make it. We're gonna be free after all." At which point, the looks like the entire Russian army showed up. I mean, we're talking helicopter, gunships. Tanks, you know, an entire platoon armed to the teeth with automatic weapons. Not a tree, not a rock to hide behind. I mean, this isn't this isn't the not this isn't even the Nazis and Hank Schrader and Gomi from Breaking Bad. Okay, at least there were cars to hide behind. This was flat plains that they were that they were uh, cornered in. There was nowhere to go, and so. And I'm and I'm describing it that way because Rambo and Troutman look at each other and is and I think one of them may have actually said I think we can take them, and, or it was implied when he just said fuck them. At which point they start shooting. So two men versus the Russian army. 
and the two men win. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, but what's even better is, and again, it goes back to the whole Star Trek thing of the noble savage is greater. You know, this is this is the motif from Rocky Four, isn't it? It's man versus the machine. So the Russian army with the superior armaments taken out by Rambo, Troutman, and Afghans on horses. How do I complain about suspension of disbelief? Because you know what, Mark? You know what I you know what I have uh what I have now witnessed where I can cross off my bucket list? I've witnessed a finale in which a man sails into the middle of a hurricane on a goddamn schooner and somehow or another washes up in a logging camp. <laughs> as we're sure. talking about this uh, as we're talking as I'm, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing I have to apologize to Tom, not about his stupid comments about Man of Steel, but uh, over uh, our whole discussion of Revenge of the Sith versus Return of the Jedi. Because apparently a army of little bears can take down a platoon of soldiers. Rambo proves it. In this case, the Afghans are the Ewoks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that long road to ruin, everybody. Come on, we don't take this that seriously. <laughs> so, so I, I hope that above all the things that have been said on this show, of all the things that we've talked about, somebody out there finds me sit comparing the Mujahideen to Ewoks, and that's what makes us popular. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, and I imagine to, to compare the suspension of disbelief to the idea that Dexter Morgan is now a lumberjack and he's okay. Oh, was that the finale of Dexter? I heard it sucked, but I don't watch Dexter. I have no interest in a a um, romanticized sociopath killing other murderers. The man is fucking dead to me. That show ended after season seven. Check the poll and punch was served. There was no season eight. It never happened. <laughs> I, am filing, I am filing this right up alongside the original cut of Highlander 2. It never goddamn happened. Get that respect off fuck straight from now on, world. There was no season eight. Never, ever happened. It ended 12 episodes earlier. Boom, LaGuardia's dead. We brought it full circle back to the ending of the novel. Roll credits. Da, 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 da. I'm if okay. Could, if you could stop having a uh, nervous breakdown for just a moment. Do you have any final thoughts on this schlock of a, of a action movie, Rambo 3? You know what? I go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, kids nowadays, the thing about action movies these days, with the exception of about the only ones I can point to are movies like The Expendables or whatever the Girl Expendables movie that's being made is going to be called, or... Um, the oh, Vaginas? What did you say? The Vaginas? Um, uh, help me out here for a second, Mark. What was the one with Clive Owen and Monica Bellucci and Paul Giamatti? Uh, Clive Owen seems to know uh, just 365 ways to kill people with a carrot. What movie am I thinking of here? It's Shoot him up. Shoot him up. Thank you. I almost said smoking aces, but that didn't sound clever. Yes, shoot him up. Okay, with
with the exception of movies like that that are clearly not taking themselves too seriously, or the 2008 Rambo, for that matter, the problem is when people make action movies nowadays, it's all it always seems to be with a lethal dose of pretension. Um, there's there there they lack that raw bombast that the Rambo movies have. Uh, to where they're over the top, things blow, things blow up, more bullets are expended than have probably been manufactured in the entire known world. But you know, it's wild fun. These movies it, yeah, are fun. Almost campy fun. You have movies, you have action movies nowadays that seem that they're taking themselves too seriously. That they're trying too hard, and that that's what makes them too hard too hard to enjoy is the fact that you feel almost insulted that the people making them expect you to take them seriously. They're so slick and so polished and you know well, the, 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 the people making them are, are ashamed to make over the top fun action movies because that's movies exactly. for dumb people. Exactly. And that's why and that's why I'm kind of picking up what Stallone is laying down by establishing the Expendables franchise is he takes guys who either have already proven themselves as great action heroes and are the legacies, the, the legends of, of that genre's halcyon days, and pairing them with guys who maybe don't have quite that background, but they kind of have that, that same legitimacy, that same, that same mystique. Because, I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to put just based on film for film, say Randy Couture, legitimately alongside someone like Dolph Lundgren or Sylvester Stallone or Bruce Willis, just based on the first three Die Hard movies. We're going to forget the last two ever happened, uh, or, or Schwarzenegger. But the fact is, is Couture is just the kind of guy that overall, when you look at him, when you look at his background, having been, having served honorably in the Army, and, ha- and being a, a legend among legends in MMA, and just being a general tough guy, you can see how he would kind of make sense in that kind of mold. Well, look at Steve uh, Austin. Steve Austin's not a former soldier or anything. He was a college football player and a high school football player, but he yeah, played a character, in which case he beat up his boss for three years. Well, well yeah, and I mean, and hell, if you could have gotten him in the movie... The Rock would have been another great choice because the man, for one thing, has proven to be you know a shot of adrenaline to every franchise he stars in, but he also seems to be kind of bringing back the Sword and Sandals movie, which, hey, who was it that brought that back after you know Reg Park and Steve Reeves did it and then it just kind of died off? Why Arnold Schwarzenegger? So it's all kind of cyclical. It kind of makes sense. But on the other hand, you have too many movies that are too obsessed with what kind of tech budget do we have to make that? And, you know, that's the good thing about Rambo. Yes, it's ridiculous. Yes, you have to do some insane suspension of disbelief throughout it. Um, And yes, at times, it's heavy-handed in terms of really missing the authenticity of the first movie's message. But the fact is, it's just raw fun. Yep. They're going out there, and every movie, they're trying to go out guns blazing. So, yeah, Rambo 3 is ridiculous, but it's one of those movies that 
Well, for for example, um, our long road to ruin superfan Jackie uh, pointed out to me today while I was working, pinged me on Facebook and pointed out to me while I was working on day job things, that over on Spike TV, what were they playing this afternoon? Rambo 3. So, yeah, you know, if I had nothing to do this afternoon and I had a six-pack of Guinness in the fridge and a pizza in front of me, serving through the channels, can't find anything else on, now what the hell, I'll stop and watch Rambo 3. No qualms about it. So, it's, it's fun, but to kind of put, just kind of put a final point on this, we need to... 15 minutes of talking about Rambo 4 again. It's it's not fun that needs to be anything more than how it comes across. So, And that's actually a really good intro to this movie because um, as gritty as First Blood was and as a love letter to the POWs as the second one was and as silly as the third <laughs> one got, um, you had fun with those movies. It was... It was a, it was actually like you know Steve Austin and McMahon. You got to live through John Rambo as he you know cuts through like a hot knife through butter. First the you know the police up in, I believe it's Washington or Oregon, um, and then Vietnamese soldiers, and then you know the Soviets. Yay, Rambo! Um, by the time you get to the 2008 film, I'm not having any fun anymore. This, it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. And it is, um, you know, an action movie. You know, it, it, can't, it can't be anything but that. And as I said before, it does, I don't want to repeat the whole first half hour of this podcast. So, you know, we already know that it does try to elevate a very serious issue. Which, by the way, as we were talking about that, I googled um, genocide in Asia. First thing that comes up is Cambodia. So, so yeah. there you go. Um, but... The problem here is, and you really kind of hit the nail on the head before, while I don't have a tremendous amount of complaints about Rambo, and I really do respect Stallone and the producers for doing what they, trying to do what they did with this movie, um, this definitely falls into the category of taking itself way too seriously. Uh, I, I wasn't having fun watching this movie. And as much no. as I enjoy Oz and you know The Wire and things like that, uh, there's nothing fun to me about watching a army run through a village, um, hack people to pieces, and rape women, and shoot children, and shoot dogs. And this is all on screen, folks. Okay, if if I, if I can find the actual cut uh, on YouTube, I might post it to my Facebook page. And I'll, you know, if I post the this podcast anywhere, I'm probably going to post that as well. It's it's it, it's borderline torture porn. And you know what? This this is my other problem with modern action movies. I know which movies I want to watch when I want to get a healthy dose of full-on Dolby stereo surround sound, Keenan Ivory weigh-ins bellowing message. Action movies are not those movies. You know, I get movies that can maybe put a little bit of subtext in there. Obviously, the first Death Wish did that very well before it descended into entirely losing the plot. But when I go to watch an action movie, I don't want to be preached to. I don't want a message. I don't want to come away having learned anything. 
I don't want that. I just want to sit back and just watch the boom. Yeah, these are because they were trying to portray them accurately. The villains are beyond evil. They are horrendous. Shooting them isn't enough. So, you know, Rambo is the Superman in these movies, right? He can take on armies of people with just a gun, and he never, he very rarely gets hit. And if he gets hit, he can heal himself because he's fucking Wolverine on top of everything else. Um, And so when you, let let me quick explain the plot of this thing. Uh, He, at this point, is still living in Thailand, and uh, he's got a boat, and he catches snakes, and he's long since removed from um, the world. And he's just made a life for himself in Thailand. And a group of Christian min- uh, missionaries are going into uh, want to go to Burma and deliver medication, su- supplies, food, and Bibles into one of the Karen villages. They want to rent Rambo's boat. Rambo tries to shoo them away. And uh, the character played by Julie Benz says to him, you know, what what is life if you if you don't try to do something with it? Um, you know the the big tagline of this movie was live um, you know, die for nothing, live for live live for something, die for nothing. I think is is what it is, and that's sort of the message of the movie is that even if you're going to die, um, you know, even if you have to give your life, you you know, life is meaningless unless you get, unless you give purpose. You know, there's a whole book about this, folks, called The Purpose Driven Life. So. You know, even if their mission is going to be unsuccessful, they must. They are compelled to do so to give their to give their lives meaning, to give them purpose. Um, it is a good thing that they are doing, even if it is hopeless. And he's moved by her enthusiasm for this, so he agrees to take them up the river, and 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 the whole thing just goes south from the get go. First, they're nearly boarded by pirates, in which case he shoots them all. There's a there's a throwaway line in here, which is so real and horrifying and yet it just hits just out there and then it goes away into the ether. And, you know, they're, they're all, he had this after he's, he's killed all the pirates on the boat. And one of the missionaries says to him, he was like, why did you do that? There had to be another way. Why couldn't we bargain with them? And he was like, um, they would have killed you all and taken her and raped her 50 times. Like on the one hand, that was probably an exaggeration. On the other hand, no raping someone 50 times in the third world sounds about right. And it's horrible. It's horrible to say that out loud. I'm like, I'm trying like not to make a joke about this, but it's how I don't know how else to express the frustration of hearing something like that. That there are people, and I use that word term lightly, so devoid of humanity, who look upon others as nothing more than a, a means to an end. You know, you talk about the dehumanizing process. The fact that that, that, that there are people out there who really do regard some woman has nothing more than a fuckhole. Sorry, mm. that's that's what it is. It's oh, um, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's uh, again, not necessarily what I need to be confronted with in an action movie. <laughs> um, that's that's more documentary, if you ask me. But anyway, moving on. So um, anyway, they get to the village, and he he drops them off. Um, when they don't return in 10 days because the village has been raided, I've already talked about what happens in that scene enough times. Almost all the missionaries are slaughtered. Um, the, the rest are kidnapped. She's, like, tossed underneath one of the huts uh, and tied up. Um, but nothing. You never see anything really happen to her, though. She's just kind of there. Um, and uh, meanwhile, one guy's, like, fed to pigs. So uh, The missionaries then hire mercenaries to go save them. And that's where 
the heart, if you can call it that, of the movie really takes place. You have these mercenaries who have seen the world and how ugly it is and all this other stuff going, you know, they should have never gone in there in the first place. Keep your keep your yuppie noses out of third world business. And Rambo, who was, again, moved by the girl's opposite stance, sort of, you know, becomes the, almost a spokesperson for that belief in his own way of... You know that that's that that's how bad things. You know, when good people choose to do nothing, that's when bad. That's when evil wins. That's sort of the hidden message of this movie. But in any case, the mercenaries and the boatman Rambo um, show up at the Karen village, see the devastation, and decide they you know they got to go get these people back. They're not going to let them go into the human meat grinder that is the uh, the Myanmar army. So they raid the village, and then then, then this just becomes a simple rescue movie. Um, skipping, they rescue everybody. Some more people die. They get to the end, and this is where like it 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 sort of borders between action fantasy. You know, your hero, your Superman saving the day, and uh, once again torture porn. Mm-hmm. Rambo, uh, the mercenaries uh, uh, get the, the Myanmar army get the drop on the uh, on the mercenaries. They're about ready to execute them at the riverbank. And Rambo pops up, commandeers a machine gun that's mounted to a jeep, and then begins to execute the entire Myanmar army, freeing the mercenaries, and the mercenaries join the fight. And now you have this 11 minutes of about, you know, half a dozen or so mercenaries in Rambo killing an entire army. And it isn't like some movies, um, and we're really got to cut to the end of this, some movies, you know, when they want to show a lot of people dying, they'll do quick edits and quick cuts. You can't really focus on the on the actual death. Not in Rambo. Jesus Christ. It, you know, it's they actually went out of their way and brought in consultants so that when they did the special effects of the people being shot with this machine gun, it would look accurate. And it is, and it's gross. Um, it's on the one hand, you know, props for uh, props for authenticity <laughs> on the other hand I guess and this is where I want your your kind of final thoughts on this was this trip really necessary you know what I can sum that up by presenting you with three well, you could say a poll uh, very different views of the film first off in an interview uh, former Atlanta Journal Constitution writer Jonathan Garrett said of the movie and I quote Rambo is the, viol- is the most violent movie I have ever seen. The last 11 minutes of the film are so violent, it makes We Were Soldiers look like Sesame Street. So he is just looking purely at how many people get killed. On the other hand, and I quote, I'm happy to report that overall I'm pleased. The level of violence might not be for everyone, but but it has a serious intent. This is the first time the tone of my novel First Blood has been used in any of the movies. It's spot on in terms of how I imagine the character. Angry, burned out, and filled with self-disgust because Rambo hates what he is and yet knows it's the only thing he does well. I think some elements could have been done better, but I think this film deserves a solid three stars. That last quote is from is from First Blood author David Morrell. Now, so you have the person who just can't see past the superficial fact that, yes, many, 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 many people die in this movie and just sees it as violence for the sake of violence and comes across as being very abhorred by it. 
On the other hand, you have the author of the source material who not only condones, but is very respectful of the tone that they capture in this and seems and seems to believe that it really brings the series full circle back to where he meant it to go in the first place first place when he wrote the novel and in turn when Stallone and company adapted it. And finally, just to show you just what accord the unflinching realism of this struck, I want to point out that the Burmese government has banned this movie. The current ruling part ruling party has ordered DVD DVD vendors not to stock it, not to distribute it at all. Um, it's Meanwhile, very, it's been the inspiration of the uh, the Rebel Army. Yeah, it's a uh, it's available it's available in bootleg. Um, but as you pointed but as you pointed out, uh, Generation Wave, which is a Burmese opposition youth group. Um, has copied it and distributed it as propaganda against the Tatmadaw. I, I hope I pronounced it right. My apologies to anybody out anybody out there if I happen to get that wrong. Um, and, and you're right. You know, it was a shot in the arm. It was a massive morale boost. Um, so so much so that you have Burmese freedom fighters who repeatedly quote, especially the live for nothing or die for something uh, rallying cry. cry. Rally, did I just say rallying cry? Oh, good Lord. Oh, apologize. I apologize to Southeast Asians everywhere and also Mickey Rooney. Um, <laughs> uh, but to, to quote Sylvester Stallone, that to me is one of the proudest moments I've ever had in film. Yeah. So, I mean, and and to really cap it off, you have to remember that this that this movie encapsulates what is so what's so contradictory and what's so intriguing about uh, about Stallone. And he's not the most expressive guy on earth. I, he doesn't exactly have uh, Gary Oldman or Kenneth Branagh depth. Uh, he's not. A, a real vivid character guy like Jim Carrey or Johnny or Johnny Depp, um, but on the other hand, through it all, when you look at his finest moments in film, you can't deny what an intelligent man he really is. I mean, yep. he's he's had his he's had his missteps, but there are times when he really sets that mind of his to it and, and that understanding of the human condition and, and its more raw elements that between the best moments of the Rocky franchise, which by the way, I can't believe in 12 years we haven't in 12 years, in 12 months we haven't finished yet. And the two best moments of Rambo that really, you can only make him so much of a joke, but I mean, you. I mean, yeah. Say what you will about Stopper, my mom will shoot, and Judge Dredd, and Cobra, and Over the Top, and Copland, and yada yada, so on and so forth. But you know, then you can point out, you can point out the book endings of Rambo and the book endings of Rocky, and say sometimes the man brings it all together. 
Yep. Um, I actually don't have anything more to add. I feel like you summed it up well. Rambo has its place in the culture. I think for people to dismiss it, they are doing themselves a disservice because um, it really does uh, skirt the line between um, fun at the you know action, fun at the movies, and a serious look at, at, at neglected topics. I mean, I don't think we. I think the culture wishes it treated its soldiers better, but it doesn't. I think it tries. I think it, it makes up for it. But I would defy you to talk to anybody currently dealing with the VA today. And if you interviewed 10 of them, you'd probably find nine that were absolutely disgusted with their treatment. And of those nine, probably seven, rightly so. So um, it's a drum I will continue to beat uh, you know, for as long as I talk about this stuff. But we are talking about Rambo and... Again, if you can stomach some of the violence and you can suspend your disbelief, uh, especially uh, the first three movies, then, you know, if you haven't seen them, I think you're missing out. All right. So this is the last uh, podcast I'm going to be doing on uh, with you for um, for the next month. And when we come back in November, uh, we're going to be hitting the Aliens and Predator series hard. Hopefully your friend will be available. I know if he's not, Robert Winfrey wants to be on that. Uh, wants to be on that. So between the Aliens and the Predators, that's going to take us into Christmas where we're going to be doing uh, Die Hard. And if there's time, there may not be the uh, the Santa Claus movies. I think that's going to be how we're going to end off, end off the year. But I am taking the month of October off because I need a break. <laughs> I just I need to I need other stuff to do. Um, okay. Mm. Well, do you mind? Do you mind if I plug what we're doing in October then? Yeah, go ahead. Shoot. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, as previously mentioned, um, my good friend, uh, author, column, author, columnist, former bartender, former mayor of Oric, Missouri, all around, just grown ass Renaissance geek, Jason Offit is going to be joining us in November. Hopefully, if his uh, teaching schedule permits it, to talk about. Aliens, Predator, and finally, Aliens vs. Predator. Uh, but before that, next month, to mark the one-year anniversary of Long Road to Ruin, going on without us finishing the last two movies of the Rocky franchise, it's finally going to happen, because with Robert Winfrey stepping in for Mark Rogelich as co as the host of Long Road to Ruin, while Mark recharges his batteries, we are going to spend four weeks talking about all nine Hellraiser movies. Gotcha. Uh, no, actually, gotcha is the Rocky thing. Uh, no, we're going to, coming up on our next episode, we're going to be talking about what I call the good Hellraiser movies, the modern horror classic that is the first one, the... Actually, pretty damn good follow-up. That is the second one. And the rather strange case of the fifth movie, which is kind of, sort of, a Hellraiser movie in name only, but is still actually really pretty good. And then coming up two weeks after that, unfortunately, we have to talk about the other six movies, which includes one particular installment, and I'm not going to tell you which one, in which I am pretty much promising you vitriol and cursing and hatred and weeping and probably consumption of alcohol 
on par with the paranormal activity conclusion. Because I hate this movie just that damn much. But, yes, so that's the rest of our long road to ruin. In terms of the rest of my pluggery, I am just going to say uh, continue tuning in on Sunday night slash Monday morning in the 411mania.com music zone. As always, my album-by-album, artist-by-artist retrospective give life back to music. Coming up this week, we have the penultimate edition of our surprisingly well-received look at John Mayer. Uh, I'm going to be taking a look at Battle Studies. The week after that, I'm going to be taking a look at his most recent album, Born and Raised. And that week, I am also going to announce a choice for my next artist that's probably going to surprise a lot of people. And right now, um, oh, and also one last thing to bring it full circle. In October, uh, I'm actually going to be doing a bit of a crossover promotion, both on Long Road to Ruin and on Robert Winfrey's own podcast, Everyone Loves a Villain. Uh, That's going to be Horror Movie Month. And Mark and I are in talks to get me on his show to talk about some of the most pants-crappingly scary villains of all time. So that's it for me. Mark, what you got coming up around the corner, man? Well, I just want to, and I just want to tell everyone once again that you can find all the Rattle and Broadcasting shows uh, on iTunes and on Stitcher. Um, you uh, every uh, every week you can either catch the Long Road to Ruin. Or um, every ugh, the Metal Hammer of Doom. Metal Hammer of Doom is going to do one more show because uh, Robert Cooper is madly in love with me. Um, could not could not bear to be apart from me for as long as I was demanding he should be. So we are going to do one more. Um, we're going to review the new Ministry album. Hint: It's terrible. So uh, listen to Robert Cooper and I bash Al Jorgensen. Um, you know, talk about talk about just outliving your. Uh, Wearing out your welcome, ugh, and I'm and that's coming from a hardcore ministry fan. So we're gonna do from beer to eternity um, next Tuesday, and then I'm done for the month. Uh, I won't be back until November. I will continue to be doing the Sunday four hundred one ground and pound show. Uh, announcement about that: this Sunday, the twenty ninth, we're gonna be going on at eleven a.m. Uh, we're gonna be back to our old time for just this one show because later that night. From nine o'clock to about nine fifteen to about ten fifteen is the Breaking Bad series finale. So at ten thirty, uh, I'm going to invite a select group of uh, friends and writers and columnists uh, alike, basically anyone that was a fan of the series, to kind of come on and have an exhale session, uh, just talking about the series finale. Um, probably going to go probably be about sixty minutes. I don't think it's, I don't think longer than that is necessary, <laughs> but uh, just just a crew of people kind of sitting around the virtual um, diner booth, cup of coffee, bagel, and uh, some Elvis fries, Fontaine as it might be called, uh, just just shooting the shit, talking Breaking Bad. So uh, that's how we're going to cap off that, and that's going to and that like I said from that's why we're not doing a four one ground and pound show. I'm going to be watching Breaking Bad, and then at ten thirty, I'm going to jump on um, Google. Um, Google Plus, and we're gonna have a uh, a big old Google Hangout talking about Breaking Bad. Uh, so 
that's this Sunday. Uh, so the 401 ground and pound at 11 o'clock, then nine, then 1030 at night, Eastern Standard Time, is all Eastern Standard, is the Breaking Bad series finale, Google Hangout. Um, beyond that, check out my live coverage every week of The Ultimate Fighter. I got hornswoggled into covering The Ultimate Fighter this season because Wyatt Boger has work duties and can't do it. So uh, I volunteered, and you know, much like uh, much like fine young men of the 1960s and 70s, you know, uh, I I volunteer, and suddenly I'm drafted. That's how it works. See, they won't let me out of the army. My ass, my ass belongs to the Zonka Army, folks. So um, I I actually have to get off this podcast and run to my bedroom to go cover the Ultimate Fighter, Team Tate versus Team Pouty. Um, oh, why? That's why we don't have an overrun this week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's that. All right. So, for uh, the my co-host and friend Sean Comer, this has been the Long Road to Ruin. Uh, Taking a look at Rambo. Well, I'll be back in a month. He'll be back in two weeks. Until then, be well, be safe, and behave. Stop it, boy.